of you, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen. I'd like to direct your attention, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20. I do not know what you're going to um, do with the message I'm about to preach any more than I know what you're going to do with any message that you've ever heard. I do know we need to do something with everything that we hear from the Lord. And uh, I'm just going to preach to you what I feel in my heart today and, uh, and do with it what you will. I just am preaching to you what I feel and I hope it's a blessing to you. Apologize to the uh, men in our church. I think two years ago or so I preached this. Maybe a little longer. And Brother Wilson heard this one time. We were preaching a meeting together somewhere. And uh, But I feel to bring this to you today. Deuteronomy chapter 20 beginning at verse 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time in making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them, and thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of the field is man's life to employ them in the siege. Only the trees, which thou knowest that they be not trees for meat, thou shalt destroy and cut them down. And thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it be subdued. And I'd like for us to pray and ask that our great God would speak to us this afternoon. God, we love you. you my God we love you my God thank you Lord for your presence amen 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 God bless you so much you may be seated thank you for your goodness I, I do want to say it's a, it's a rare occasion outside of our local church when it's like this but um good to have my three best friends on earth with me. That's Joel Phillip and Larry Booker. I mean that. God bless them. I guess they're here. Did they come back to hear the dad? Praise the Lord. 
<laughs> they might be out in the car sleeping. <laughs> Where's your brothers? My Lord, they didn't even come back. We'll get them. They'll come in. When they come in, somebody grab them. All right. So much for that. Anyway. That's going to go down in a book somewhere. Praise God. And the word of the Lord that I have read to you. Um, this was written 3,500 years ago. And uh, God's word is, though it's a large book, it is very economized. When you realize that just the three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ, John said that if everything that was written that should be written, he did not suppose that the world itself could contain the books that should be written. Just about the three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ. So if God were to give us everything that would be profitable to us, the earth couldn't contain the books, nor would we have time to ever even think of reading them. But with that in mind, what God does give us that should make it exceedingly much greater of importance, it should cause us to realize that of all that could have been said and should have been said, when God gave us something, He definitely wants us to pay attention to it. Amen. And so, 3,500 years ago, the children of Israel were just about to try it again and cross the River Jordan and to go into the land of Canaan. And prior to their entry into the land, the Lord stopped them giving them last-minute instruction. And in the midst of all of the instructions that he gave them through their 40-year excursion in the wilderness and then the last moments before they entered, he said that when you go into this land and you begin to make siege against cities of the land, that when it comes time to make bulwarks, battering rams, implements and instruments of warfare, or places of protection, that when it comes time for that, that not every tree that you see is subject for removal. Not every tree that is on the landscape can be used for the purpose. He wanted them to take the cities. He wanted them to have the victory. He wanted them to inhabit the land. It was a promise that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to his seed forevermore. And so it was not a case of if they would be victorious or not. That was a settled issue. If they ever lost this battle, they would be losing a winning battle because the battle was the Lord's and not theirs to begin with. All they had to do was do the will of God and the project would be finished. 
And so he said, in the process of doing the will of God, and when you are in the utter excitement of battle, when your blood is pumping hot, amen, and your breath is coming heavy, and your heart, amen, is beating uh, tremendously, and you're in mighty heat of a battle, I want you to remember that there are some trees that you are not to touch. There are some trees that you are not to cut down. Amen. Or if you are in a siege, if you are in a place of frustrating stagnation, of a long siege, again, and you're building bulwarks and instruments, do not let your frustration or do not let your desires, amen, catch the better of you. Keep your eyes on that which you cut down. And if it is a tree of meat, that is a fruit tree, don't touch it. Leave the fruit tree alone. If it is a tree that is a, 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 just a tree that does not produce fruit, you can cut it. Yea, verily, cut it down. But leave the fruit trees alone. I want to talk to you today, this afternoon, on this subject, protecting the fruit trees of life. Protecting the fruit trees of of life hallelujah now 3500 years later you and I find ourselves in a an American society it is a fast-paced society all of our modern conveniences have done nothing but speed up our lives to a breakneck pace amen all of the gadgetry that has been afforded us that has supposedly given us much more time than our forefathers we just find that we're trying to cram more and more and more into it and I'm not saying that is all bad by no means but I do find that this is a very stressed out society in 1985 there was a radio talk show I simply never forgot it and and uh, the, they had a, uh, some experts on there and they were making a statement that the average American in the course of one week in 1985 faced as much stress through decision-making processes as the average American faced in an entire year in 1885. So our weeks are packed and our weeks are filled and as far as, as things stressful that we face, we have managed to pack in more in a week than our forefathers did in an entire year, a hundred years ago. And so at this breakneck pace, this, this society that we live in, this, this moneyed society, this success-oriented society, this, this, this society that says you've got to make it and you've got to attain and you've got to get and there's a great American dream that is that's a two to three car with a home that's paid for and all of these things and all of the amenities that go with it amen and all of the decisions that must be made hallelujah still as was said 3500 years ago so let it be said today some things are meant 
to be protected. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We are in an age where success is supreme. It is survival of the fittest being promulgated as law and doctrine. Much as God is taught even in the religious world that gain is godliness. Amen. Vince Lombardi capitalized it when he said winning isn't the only thing or the everything, it is the only thing. Now he said he didn't say it, but he lived it that way anyway. Amen. And yet let it be said. Hallelujah. That the immediate advantages of success, the immediate advantages of victory, there was a principle laid down, they were not to be purchased at any cost. God would give the victory, that is not a question. Success would be there, but not as the world counts it. Hallelujah. And I want you to know that when God wrote this, it was not because he was interested in the horticulture of the land, or he was an environmentalist wacko. Amen. But there was a principle involved here. And do you understand that the fruit trees that were protected by this statute have lived and died for thousands of years? It's not the fruit trees, it was the principle that God was interested in. Hallelujah. He said, now, you can have your success. You can be in the hot-blooded excitement of battle or in the frustration of stagnation of, of a seed. But wherever you are and whatever you're facing, protect the fruit trees. Because you're not going to be in battle forever. You're not going to be in siege forever. And God is going to give the victory. You do your part and God will do his part. But, but when you've won the battle, don't let it be said that as you've taken your city and you look out across the horizon, you face a barren landscape because of things that were bought and sold and traded and given away, you destroyed not excitement or the frustration either one I remember reading a story small little story written by Benjamin Franklin and in it he talked about when he was a little boy that uh, he had earned four cents which was not like four cents to you and I that was a lot of money in those days for a kid and so he had this four pennies, four cents, and uh, he was going down the way with his chains rattling in his pocket and just feeling so good about himself when he heard a whistle blowing, and uh, it captivated his mind and his attention, and he saw this little boy going down life's journey blowing this whistle, just, I mean, just having himself a time, and old Ben, he 
he fell to a lusting after that whistle. And so he began to bargain with him about the purchase of this whistle. The boy was loath to sell, but Ben was loath to give up. And so through process, he ended up buying the whistle for four pennies. And he was so happy. He was so ecstatic. He was so utterly, totally thrilled. And uh, so he began to make his way through the streets. And if that first boy thought he knew how to blow a whistle, he didn't know the meaning of the word. Because Ben Franklin put his utmost into this whistle in, in portraying its shrillness. And, and so when he got through blessing his portion of the city, he made it into his home and he proceeded to bless his house with his whistle and in and out of every room and up and down the stairs and 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 finally an older brother grabbed him and said where did you get that whistle and uh he said i bought it and he said and how much did you pay for that whistle he said four cents and his brother looked at him and belly laughed I mean, he just cracked up. He had himself a hee-haw time. He said, you little fool. He said, I could buy ten of them for that amount of money. And he laughed and went his way through the house telling everybody about Ben's bargain. And old Ben, he said, all of a sudden, the allure for that whistle was gone. It lost its dazzle, its brilliance. He didn't feel like blowing it. He didn't feel like looking at it. It was an emblem of his stupidity. He said, but I never forgot that whistle. Never. He said, and as he went on down through life's journey, he would behold men that paid too much for their whistles. He found folks that were too ambitious, amen, in their desire to court the favor of their fellows and of their world to get political clout, if you please. They tended to trade their virtue and give up friends and sell chunks of their conscience so that they could have a whistle to blow. And he said that when their conscience was gone and their virtue was gone and their friends were gone, he would watch them and say to himself, Sir, you paid too much for that whistle. He said he watched men in life that were utter, total misers, cheapskates, tightwads. Now they called themselves thrifty. But they would give up the normal comforts of life. They never knew the pleasure of doing good or being good. They lost the esteem of their fellows. And when they were old, they had their money. They could sit inside. They could count the coins. 
But outside their window was a barren landscape. And old Ben would see people that gave themselves to that. And he thought, sir, you paid too much for that whistle. Too much, too much. You paid too high a price for that whistle. And then he saw the other end of the spectrum. Amen. The folks that were given to pleasure, the profligate, that, that, that eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die was the standard they bore. And he watched as they became day by day more dissipated through drink and spending money that they did not have. Hallelujah. And they come to the place when they were old. And again, they were lonely. They were sick and they were a slave to unbelievable vast amounts of debt that they could not pay. He thought, sir, you paid too much. Way too much. For that whistle but at the time they would just blow it to their heart's content until they found out the true value god wanted israel to understand don't pay too much for the whistle boys i'm going to give you the whistle i'm going to give you the desires of your heart hallelujah i want you to possess the land worse than you want to possess the land You've got to understand, I've got a big stake involved in this. I've got a plan and a promise that I've made in the past. And I've got a plan and a promise that I've got for the future. Hallelujah. I've got a whole lot resting on this thing. You don't have to worry about my desire. You don't have to worry about my involvement. You don't have to worry about what I want to do. You don't have to worry about what I'm willing to do. I've got a line a measures made ready for you. You just follow what I've given you. Hallelujah. And I'm going to be with you to the end of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But I do want you to understand. Don't axe the landscape barren. There have been too many fruit trees lost in the name of achievement. There have been too many fruit trees axed in the name of success. And please, I'm going to tell you something, and this is the only qualification or apology or ever what you want to call it that I'm making for this message I'm preaching today. Don't read into what I'm saying. Anything. Anything. That is anti-revival. You hear me? But I'm going to tell you this. There have been a lot of fruit trees cut down in the name of revival. In the name of success. In the name of achievement. And God has a principle forever laid down in his word. Hallelujah. Don't axe the fruit trees of life. Therefore your meat live for your life live for your enjoyment hallelujah let's lift our hands and love the Lord I love you my God I love you I love you I love you I love you my God hallelujah 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 oh God
God, my God, my God, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Many years ago, in fact, I think over ten, I was uh, reading an article out of the uh, Smithsonian Magazine. There was an article in there called The Golden Age of Harvard. And they were talking about that great institution in America, Harvard University. And uh, they were making mention of what is considered the obvious by American society, those that know, that the golden age of Harvard is a thing gone by. It's past. And in their writing, they made this statement. They said, it's hard to define when a golden age begins. For a university, a nation, a society, a people, or an institution. It's hard to point to the spot in the time that the golden age began. Now, the golden age refers to the time of greatest glory, greatest influence, greatest achievement, greatest uh, influence, and on and on and on. But he said, it is much easier to point to the time it began to decline. It's hard to define when a golden age begins, but it's easy to point to the moment of decline begins. And then they made this statement concerning golden ages. The silvering of the gold that's the watering down, the diluting, the bringing in of a more base material. The silvering of the gold is always done in the name of progress. It's always done in the name of progress. Now, I've got a few things I'm going to cover here. But I'm going to stop on this one. Hallelujah. Every movement, every religious movement that ever had a fingerprint of God upon it, I'm not talking about its correct theology. I'm talking just simply about the presence of the Lord. Every movement that ever had a touch of God on it, they all, irregardless of what else they believed, had this in their fabric. A belief in a separation from this world and a holiness unto God. Amen. And every movement, every movement that began to lose the touch of God, the smile of God, the blessing of God, you can point to the time it began to dissipate. It's when the silvering of the gold was done in the name of progress and for the sake of revival, they begin to let down on things called holiness. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, 
we're in a part of the country we're dealing with churches this would be one of the easiest things to preach on there is but i am going to tell you this much listen to me men and listen to me young men every time your pastor gets up and he begins to open his mouth on the subject of separation from the world and holiness to our god you ought to be on your feet you ought to be after it you ought to have something inside of you that says preach it brother preach it brother i've got a family at stake i got a wife i got children i got grandbabies in this thing don't turn it down pastor turn it on up turn it on up turn it on up hallelujah don't silver down the gold It's already been proven. Hallelujah. You don't have to cut down the fruit trees of holiness to have apostolic Holy Ghost revival. In fact, the guys that are doing it, saying for the, God bless you, saying for the sake of revival, for the sake of souls, for the sake of ingathering. That's falling apart about their ears. Somebody ought to wake up and smell the coffee, honey. This thing runs on holiness. This thing pours on holiness. It's the gasoline in the engine. So let me just remind you, whenever your pastor starts preaching on holiness, I'm going to tell you, whenever he even mentions the word, that ought to be a cue. That ought to be a key. Amen. Brother pastor, preach, preach, preach. We're going to take the city. And we're going to have fruit trees to boot. Praise God. Woo! Hallelujah! Now, we're dealing with men of all occupations here. All manners of employment. Young men here that you haven't got it nailed down yet. What you're going to be and what you're going to do. Go to Proverbs chapter 22. Nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody wants to flounder around like a fish out of water. And especially to young men that you're fixing to graduate or you recently graduated, there can be certain trepidations. About what am I going to be and what am I going to do? And am I going to be able to pull it off? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let me give you a principle right here. Whatever else you do, whatever else you become, there are some fruit trees of your life that I don't care, come what may, don't touch them. Proverbs 22, read verse 1. A good name. A good 
name is rather to be chosen is rather to be chosen than great riches than great riches I'm here to tell you a good name is a fruit tree of life and it doesn't matter what your mortgage is it doesn't matter what your car payments it don't even matter if you have a car or if you've got a house that makes no difference I'm here to tell you that a good name is rather to be desired than great riches hallelujah you can be honest in this world we're living in you can run a business in this world we're living in you can be forthright and upright and honest with your neighbor in this world we're living in hallelujah hallelujah and i'm gonna tell you something you say what are you preaching about that for because we got too many men in pentecost that's cutting down that fruit tree they're cutting too many corners for the expediency of the almighty dollar read the rest of that verse and loving favor rather than silver and gold loving favor is more to be desired than silver and gold I've dealt with quote unquote Christians yeah. but as long as I'm in my right mind, I'll never deal with them again. There was a man. I had to show the door of our church and say, don't come back. And I allowed him to come back for a while. When he came back 13 months later and apologized profusely and thoroughly. I said, I'm going to let you back on these conditions. And one of them was, don't you have one single business dealing with one single soul in this church? I don't want you selling anything from bumper stickers, cars, shoes, vacuum cleaners, nothing. Because you couldn't trust them. Now, I don't want to be nasty and I don't want to be ugly. But I'm going to tell you something. There's some fruit trees that people don't mind cutting down. But you hear me. You're not going to be young forever. And somewhere, someplace, sometime, you're going to hobble. Amen. If the Lord tarries to the door and the window of life, and you're going to look down and you better pray God in that day. You don't have a barren landscape. <laughs> Nothing to eat. No joys to behold. Nothing beautiful. Somewhere in the haste of life, things were chopped and things were thrown to the wind in order to obtain your whistle. You're paying too much for that whistle. 
because you can't maintain basic Christian decency and honesty and forthrightness. Let your word be a bond. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You do realize we shouted over holiness. And you do realize this is every bit as much holiness as your sleeve lengths or anything else you've got. This is not to be winked at. Hallelujah. It is a fruit tree of life. A good name. A good name. And remember this also. You've got children, more than likely, that are either alive today or fixing to be. Can you hear me? They're not going to remember the kind of car you drove. They're not going to remember. That's not going to have the value of the kind of home you lived in. But if they can stand up and say, My dad was an honorable man. My dad was a forthright man. My dad was a good man. his bond and you will have passed on something to your children worth more than silver or gold a good name and love and favor right that walks this high wire that I'm about to talk about more than a preacher. Hey man, I want you to understand some things about your pastor. He's like the man, if you please, on the high trapeze. He has a long pole this way a long pole this way. And he's trying to walk a very narrow path. And the godly man will watch every step that he takes. Because on the poles, perhaps you have seen it. There are pictures of it. 
there's people standing on the poles and then sometimes people standing on their shoulders on their shoulders all hinged on one or two men this way and they're walking and a pastor is a man of God trying to stay above this sin full cruel debauched world that's waiting to devour and consume and he causes us the Lord Jesus causes us to walk in high places and heavenly places but you hear me you hear me if your church walks in heavenly places it's because you've got a pastor that walks in heavenly places and you just have a hard time rising any higher than your pastor and if you know what it is to shout on Sunday night if you know what it is to hear the good word of the Lord if you know what it is to feel the glory for you and your sons and your daughters you remember there's a man of God in your life that it means something to him And so he's trying to walk. And he has the burden of the church. Paul said, on top of all these other things, I have the care of all the churches. And then you, he has his sons and daughters. His family. And your family. And when a man of God is trying to walk that for your sake, if you have a brain cell in your head and an ounce of God in your soul, you ought to be saying, Oh God, let me lift up the hands of the man of God. Let me help the man of God. I'm going to pray for the man of God. I'm going to support the man of God with my finances. I'm going to get behind the man of God. Now babies are at stake. Well, I'm, I want you to hear me now. Answering machines get old, don't they? They get real old. My brother Steve here came out to the house. He's helping us do something, work around the house. I forget what it was. And on another occasion, there's a lot of men here. They've helped me around the house. These two stand up. My brother Winkler came out and was doing something around the house. Both of them of their own volition later said, Man, Brother Booker, I've never been in a home where the phone rang like that. I thought they knew. They said, We've never been in a home where the phone rang like that. And we get to live there. And I've got 
three of my best friends, two of them came in finally somewhere up here. Yes, you boys were late. I talked about you. and Anyway. And so you're trying to eat dinner with your boys. They've got something important they want to tell you. You're their dad. And ain't nobody going to know and understand and can advise them just like you. And you've got souls too. And they're going to spend eternity somewhere also. And they're part of the fruit trees of my life. And I don't want it to be that for the expediency that I end up chopping down my own boys. Because I'm not going to pastor forever and some of them are going to look out the window of life. And I want a family to draw sustenance from. I want a family to love me. some boys to say, hey, my daddy invested himself in me too. I want him to be able to say, my dad took time for me. And I'm not begrudging phone calls and I'm not up here just some itch to scratch. I'm not. When they're trying to tell you something. And it may be not as near as momentous as what you're coming home from the office with, but it is to them. And it's hard to even follow through one uninterrupted conversation for picking up the phone. I said all that to say this. Don't begrudge your pastor an answering machine. It's nice to eat dinner straight through. It's nice to carry on a conversation straight through. And I'm going to tell you something. We've had church for Wednesday nights for God knows how many years. And every now and then somebody calls and says, Is there church on Wednesday? Is there church tonight? I've had people call me and say, Brother Pastor, what time is it? Does that sound familiar? And I don't want to be like the preacher I heard about. You know, he's gone all the time. I'm gone too much. I know it. If the kid said, Mom, who's that man comes home every couple of weeks and gives us a good whipping? <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> so, one thing I've done is it's been worth every red cent to as whenever it is at all possible I take turns taking one of my boys with me when I'm going to and those times have been invaluable and I don't know what it's meant to them but it's meant anything to me
I want it to be that when I look out on the landscape in years to come, my kids have time for me. They've got time to come see Dad. I want it to be they've got time to talk to Daddy. Yeah. Now enough of me. How about you? How about you? How about you? I heard a story about a man that uh, his boss called him Friday night late. Began to mention the account, the deal. Said, look, they're ready to follow through in the morning. I'll see you at the office at 9 a.m. shot. He said, uh, I'm sorry, I cannot be there. <laughs> you don't understand, man. We're closing this deal up. It's, it's in the back. I'll see you at 9 a.m. We need 9.30. We're already 9.30. No. Uh, I won't be there at 9.30. I won't be there 10 or 12 or 1 or 3. Just, I, I'm not going to be, I cannot come. He said, knock it off. He said, no, I'm very serious. He said, well, then I'm very serious too. I'll see you at 9 a.m. or I won't see you Monday. Do you understand those terms? He said, yes, sir, I believe I do. You can either uh, send me my paycheck, come in and pick it up. I'm sorry if this has caused you a problem, but I won't be there. Click. The boss hung up. He didn't hear anything, so he came in Monday, picked up his check, stony, cold silence. Three days later, the phone rang. It was his boss. All right, come on in. We need you. So he, he came to work, and he had a message to see in the boss's office. The boss stood behind his desk. He said, I've got just one question, and we'll never bring up the subject again. What in tarnation? Is that okay? <laughs> I know what it means to me. I don't know what it means to you. Don't let me, don't let me mess up your food tray, man. It was so important on Saturday. He said, well, if you must know, I was taking my boy fishing. And the bosses, he went white and then he went red. He said, you what? He said, yes, but you don't understand. He said, we'd had it scheduled three times, and I had to break it. And it broke his little heart. And I said, son, this Saturday morning, we're going. I promise you, if I'm living, we're going. And nothing's going to come in between it. Nothing, son. Do you hear me? And I'm here to tell you, that boy, he'll never forget his daddy. we got to do take time for your babies take time for your sons take time for your daughters papas
just going to throw this in. There's a very sad state of affairs in all of our churches of mothers that are living for God that have got spineless daddies that have left them, let alone not live for God. And they're trying to raise those babies alone. And they need a male influence. And your pastor can't do it all. Why don't you adopt a kid? Hallelujah. I'm going to adopt some of these boys. I'm going to be around them. Hey, son, you want to go fishing Saturday? You never know, buddy. He might grow up to be quite a fruit tree in your life. difference between that boy living for God or not. that requires water and nurturing working with it that's the fruit tree of your personal walk with God your walk with him not your pastor's walk not your church's walk your walk your walk your prayer time, your devotion time, the time you spend, not with hearing the word of the Lord preach, but with reading it yourself, taking the time to get into it, taking the time to walk with God. Hallelujah. You will find that as you love God and love the word of the Lord, integrity will stay intact and your convictions will stay intact. It's a fruit tree. It is evermore a fruit tree. It is the fruit tree from which all other fruit trees derive so much. Amen. Don't let schedules come in between that. You may have to rearrange your schedule, even your prayer schedule. I understand that. But friend, take time to water that tree. Take time to dig it and prune it and dung it, trim it. Take time to nurture it and walk with God. Because I'm going to tell you something, I can think of few fates worse than growing Grown old, becoming cynical, skeptical, disillusioned, empty, dry, carnal, early, and opening the windows of life. And it's like dust in your mouth. Because you've not let 
the greenness and the fatness and the sap in the water of a real walk with God feed you and keep you hallelujah and be with you now I'm not saying to do this or this kind of thing I'm just telling you what it meant to one man many of you know him brother Andrew Andy Bentley goes to Brother King's church in Calgary. The top, top, everybody say top. The top number one Microsoft Word salesman in all of Canada. Number one. When he started working for them, who were filling it all out and interviewing, he said, there is one thing, he said, I, I do want you to know. He said, uh, my walk with God, my attendance to church, these things will always be number one with me. You must understand this. This is not idle talk. This is my sincere heartbeat. I will make you a good employee. You will not be sorry if you hire me, but it must go down in the records. My walk with God, my church is number one. That was so rare, so different, they said, let's give it a try. And they hired him. One time, when he came in again, I don't know how many years it was, as top number one salesman, they called him in and said, said, uh, Andy boy, you and your wife and your family, name any place on this planet that you want to go to for a complete, total, paid vacation. You name it. Name the ticket. It's yours. This is our thanks to you. He said, oh, man, I want to go to Fresno. you want to do what? Where's Fresno? Fresno, California. What's in Fresno? There's a PSR meeting in November and I want to go there. So that's where they sent him. hard-pressed to tell you that I'd do that. <laughs> but if it was PSR time, I'd be there. I promise you that. Yeah, I'd be there. I, no question about that. <laughs> but another time, a real head honcho in America called. He was not the richest man in the world at that time. He was second on the list. Today he is the richest man on earth. Microsoft. Bill Gates. Andy. 
He wants the pleasure of your company in his home. He wants to have dinner with you. Anybody ever hear Bill Gates? He said, my. I'm just telling you the story. And it's true. What's the date? He told him the date. He said, I'm sorry, I can't make it. They said, why? He said, I've got church that the window of life there's going to be some fruit trees out on the horizon and brother Wilson here about three years ago after much prayer and much soul searching by everybody took the plunge and he went off the edge of the cliff and he gave it all up to work for the church at Calgary. How much do you think the church could pay him compared to what Bill Gates was paying him? But he took the plunge. And he's never looked back. We're just talking about some fruit trees of life. Some fruit trees of life. Amen. Whatever else you do. I'm just going to say this. Wherever you go, whatever you become, whatever happens, however God blesses, however God uses, don't cut down the fruit trees. And I'm going to use these words because I cannot think of any other words that fit. Don't forget the little people of your life. friends and dear friends friends come and go we go in and out of each other's lives you don't have to be on the phone every day to be a friend of somebody not if they're a real friend but at the same token as much as life within you there needs to be a feeling an empathy, a camaraderie, a memory, a remembrance of the part they played and the role they played in your life. And when you see them, it all comes back like a flood. And you never forget them. 
I've seen people cut down the fruit trees of old relationships because they were no longer convenient. It was no longer the expeditious thing. I needed them yesterday, but I don't need them today. You're paying too much for that whistle, sir. I read something here a while back. Now, listen. I can honestly say, honest, I can't. Him. I don't know who won the Super Bowl last year, and I don't want to know either. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. If I knew, as God is my witness, I forgot it. I don't want to know. I do know there was not a World Series, and I missed it like a toothache. But I'm going to say this. I do every now and then read about coaches and generals and stuff like that. Because I deal with people and it's interesting. I read a small little vignette out of the life of, uh, I can't think of his name, but they called him the Boz. The Boz. He played for uh, OU. And he was one mean machine. Uh, Barry Switzer was the coach of OU. I think he's coaching in Tuskegee now or something like that. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I'm sorry. I don't want to get fanatical. Anyway, he's somewhere in the South. But, when the balls was playing for OU, it was his job. He received an assignment to recruit an incoming freshman, get him to come to OU. So he got two of his buddies, and he got a bunch of uh, good-looking co-eds, and uh, he got some kegs of beer, and he, and he got one of the cottages there on the campus to recruit this young individual. In the course of their partying and their, their drunkenness, they absolutely, totally destroyed the inside of the cottage. All sheetrock, all insulation, all plumbing, all fixtures, all furniture, totally demolished. They had a team meeting the next day. The boss was sitting on the front row. The two other guys that he got were sitting in the back. Barry Switzer stood up and he said, I want to know now who destroyed that cottage. And the boss put his hand right straight up in Barry Switzer's face. And the two boys in the back raised their hands. He said, all right, Lorem. He proceeded to chew those guys in the back out, up one side, down the other, never so much as looked at or made mention or reprimanded the boss in any way. And the boss said, in that moment, I realized I was nothing more than a piece of meat to Mary Switzer. 
he didn't care about me he didn't care what, about what became of me I meant nothing to him except I was a hunk of meat that won ball games said if he cared for me he would have reprimanded me with a brother too I don't know where this fits in this message, but I'm going to tell you this much. <laughs> we'll shove it in. If you got a pastor that's willing to get in your face and tell you, boy, you're not right, you're not thinking right, you messed up, listen to me, then you better get out of bed and thank God, thank God, thank God, He cares for me. He cares for my soul. Hallelujah! I'm almost over. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Uh, go to verse 17. get a thumb index Thompson chain you do better praise God <laughs> brother Bose oh brother Bose I understand Ike Terry Schofield yes we understand one fine Bible I'm here to tell you Listen, I gotta go just remember I gotta go pick up brother Terry after this is over hallelujah one verse 17 you shall not respect persons in judgment you shall not respect persons in judgment but you shall hear the small as well as the great You just never know the fruit trees. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. Brother Miles, come to the piano so they'll think that I really am. I love you, God. I know of an old gentleman he wasn't always old he used to be young I don't play I'm not that serious but do go to the piano <laughs> I got my Bible shut and I'm picking my watch up but this old gentleman he wasn't always old. There was a time in his life he was a young man in a hurry. And uh, he was in such a hurry that his family suffered very much in some real, real neglect. He made up for the neglect by over-spoiling and allowing them to do anything and everything. And his excuse was, well, it's my way of making up. But it never took the place of time spent and correction given. <laughs> 
a good name with friends and neighbors was not as important to him as it should have been. And he cut real corners and uh, hurt a lot of people. Came to a place of position and power and didn't use it wisely. Didn't even use it righteously many times. But he did use it a lot for his own desires. I go see him now. Anytime I get to that part of the country and I've got any time, I go get him and his wife and totter him out to the car and I take him out to eat. Father Walden, he has the most barren landscape of any man I know. He's told me, he said, Brother Booker, there's men in this state that I've done for and done for and done for. They never come see me. I never did a thing for you and yet you come to see me. He said, well, what about your kids? They don't ever come. They don't ever drop by. I'm just telling you. He looks out the window of life at a barren, dismal landscape. Disillusioned and disenchanted. And I say, oh God, please, don't let that happen to me. Life goes in big circles. Studied on the life of Napoleon. life to that point was the Italian campaign. If Hannibal crossed the Alps, Napoleon will cross the Alps. It had never been done since the days of Hannibal. And he said, when we begin, there's ice, there's snow, we stop for nothing. We must move. And they began their trek and they began their journey. And as they were going, there was a young boy 
I was the drummer boy. I was marching, marching, marching. In a high, dangerous place, he lost his footing, and he began to fall, fall, rumbling, bumbling, tumbling down the slope, and he caught on the edge of a precipice, and he stopped. Down below was a drop of a thousand feet or more. And the men looked in horror at the little boy, the drummer boy. Men were pushing him on. And the leaders, come on, move on, move on. They said, but the boy, he's rescuable. All we've got to do is stop. All we've got to do is let a man down on a rope. We can save him. We send the message up to Napoleon. And keep it moving, keep it moving. And so the message is going. The message is going. The message is going. The boy's down there. He's got a hold of himself. to do is stop. All we've got to do is let a man down on a rope. We can save him. We'll send the message up to Napoleon. And keep it moving. Keep it moving. And so the message is going. The message is going. The message is going. The boy's down there. He's got a hold of himself. And so he got his mind together and he drumsticks and his drum and he began to play the role for help beating the trump signaling help help he's beating the drum and they're moving looking finally news gets up to Napoleon he stops briefly he hears the story the boy can be saved. We just have to stop the procession just long enough to, to let a man go down a rope. He can be saved. But he's a young man in a hurry. Rolls to keep. Schedules he's got to meet. Dreams that must be fulfilled. And the boy should have been more careful. We're a man, we're a nation, we're a people on the phone. We move on. And we move. And as the boy looked, and he saw the procession continuing to go past any reasonable amount of time, he stopped and he looked. And then he began to play the funeral march. Because he knew he was going to die. And then.
passed by. The campaign was a success. So was Gina. Austerlitz. Elihu. His name was known in the civilized world. He went on. Bordeno. Conquering. Conquering. He brought Europe into his continental Europe into his fist. made it down to less than 100,000. He kicked over a dead body and Napoleon said, that's all right, one good Parisian night in 20 years we'll have a new army. one 